0: So Revelation chapter 3, over a few months we've been looking at the early chapters of the book of Revelation and looking in particular in the the last few times at seven messages that Jesus gives to seven different churches um, in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, and we've looked at each in turn. Obviously they were specific to those particular churches in that particular time. But they're in the scripture to help, to encourage, to speak to us as well. And so we've been looking through each one. Now, it would have been a, it's just so nice to kind of arrive today at the very last message to the seventh church. And like go out on a real high note. Um, you know, save up the best till last. The church that's doing wonderfully. As we're about to see, unfortunately, that's not the case. I would just like to take you back to last week. It would be great to have gone out on a finale with last week, because the church we looked at last week uh, was the church in Philadelphia. Uh, The church that probably has the, the best message, the best kind of commendation and well done from Jesus. In a sense saying, you're really going through tough times and challenges and pressures, but you've been staying true to my name. And I tell you just... Keep hold of what you have. Don't let anyone take your crown because I, I'm so impressed with you and I've got eternal blessing for you. I know that there are times when it's tough and you're really having to kind of dig deep. But I tell you, heaven is so impressed with how you're doing right now. And um, as elders, as we were kind of reflecting on that earlier in the week, kind of thinking that of all of all the seven churches as a church, which one do we closely resemble? And I suppose cautiously we would just like to say, as Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia, well done. I know what you're going through as a church. I know there are challenges. I know that as Phil was sharing that, that message earlier on about kind of climbing a mountain, there's some, some hard graft and it's tough. And sometimes one can feel that one's eyes just drop onto the immediate ground kind of beneath our feet as we face challenges, maybe challenges to do with, with health or, or opposition uh, to what we're trying to do as a church. And even uh, last week, someone in the church being assaulted uh, by a kind of unknown member of the public who just wanted uh, to get hold of information from us and then decided they'd get violent. I think, wow, what's going on here? Oh, you know, it's understandable sometimes. Church just thinks, oh, just, just going to, this is tough going. But Jesus says, well done. You know, see before you, I've set an open door. Uh, That no one can shut. You can come before me, and I'm setting before you open opportunities in my kingdom. Just hold on to what you have and keep going. So, we want to say just thank you and well done. It's such a privilege for us to lead a church who's so willing um, to pray, to press into God's presence together, and uh, we're humbled and blessed by that. What then do we make of the church in Laodicea? We can. Surely we can learn things from this as well, although the message, as we see, is a slightly more painful one. Let's read from uh, Revelation 3 and verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither uh, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So, be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've seen these seven different messages to seven different churches. They have their own blend, their own flavor. There are some churches like Philadelphia who are, they, they just get a well done there are some churches that get a well done, but also with a warning. There, there's something they need to really give their attention to, some sin, some problem that urgently needs addressing. So well done, but as a warning. Um, here we have a church in Laodicea who unfortunately get no well done. When, when Jesus says, I know your deeds, he doesn't follow that up by saying, this is great and this is going well and I'm impressed by this. He says, no, I, I know your deeds. as there's nothing good to say at the moment laodicea church of laodicea there's there's nothing good to say about them and so there's just warning we've we've seen in the messages before how kind of each message kind of follows a, a, a similar pattern jesus reveals something about himself he gives a well done he gives a warning and then importantly he he points out the way ahead for each church there is a way ahead there's a way uh, to keep going and to press on and it wraps up with wonderful promises. And so in this one, we're going to look at um, the warnings that Jesus gives. The way ahead. It's ever so important that we give that our attention as well. The way ahead that Jesus gives and the wonderful promises as well. Jesus begins. He begins by uh, revealing something about himself. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. Gives the impression that Jesus is totally committed to the truth. Jesus is totally committed to the truth. He, he says, these are the words of the Amen. And the word behind that, Amen, is what's often behind when Jesus says in the NIV, and we might have it translated as, I tell you the truth. Or if you read the ESV, truly, truly, I tell you. And it's the same word. It's Jesus saying, well, I'm the truth. Jesus Did Jesus say to his disciples, I'm an option, I'm an idea, I'm a phase of life. Or did he say, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. Jesus is in no way vague. Jesus doesn't just have ideas or opinions or preferences. Jesus is the truth. He's the way and he's the life. And so he's not just sharing ideas with the church. He's not just gently suggesting his point of view as if there are many points of view they could kind of give their attention to. He's saying, I am the amen. I'm God's amen. I'm God's firm truth. I'm the faithful and true witness. Because the church here in Laodicea might not like or might not expect what they are about to hear. So what do they hear? In verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and here comes the warning, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to spit you out. This warning is serious. It is strong. It is severe. Jesus, the truth does not mince his words. He tells it in this situation exactly as it is, that they are neither cold nor hot. Now, cold and hot are helpful. Cold and hot are useful. You've just run a marathon, okay? Personally, that's just something I'm going to dream about probably. You have just run a marathon um, and... It's 35 degrees, 26 miles. That's a marathon, isn't it, rather than 24? 26 miles, 35 degrees. You are hot. Okay, you come to me and I say, what would you like to drink? You can have a bucket of cold water or, hold on just a minute, over here I've prepared just for you something tepid and lukewarm. Which, which would you like? Which is refreshing? I think we'd probably go for the bucket of water in the mouth or over the head or whatever. We need refreshing at that point of, of time. Cold is helpful. What about hot? Well, there are some situations where hot is incredibly helpful. It's Christmas Eve. Your boiler has broken. It's snowing outside. Oh, that doesn't quite work. Let's say your boiler's working, but it's really, really cold. Um, and like right for you, I've got. What, what would you like? Would you like a hot water bottle to accompany you to bed, or would you like a lukewarm water bottle? I would suggest you'd, you'd probably go for the hot. Jesus saying you're you're lukewarm. Cold is good. Hot is good. Lukewarm is bad. It's cool. It's not helpful. And Jesus says. It's, I'm about to spit you out. There's something sickening. This makes me sick, in other words. Now, that would have meant a lot for these guys in Laodicea because in Laodicea, at the time, you would be very hard-pressed to get hold of either cold water or hot water. The way their water supply worked didn't really help them. And so in the distance, if you're in Laodicea, you might see in the distance a cliff edge and a waterfall coming down this, this mineral stream. When that mineral stream kind of was a bit further back it was nice and hot but by the time it comes over this waterfall and eventually gets to you in the city it's well it's kind of mineral rich but it's also tepid and so peh, they could see the water coming but they knew this stuff is going to make us sick we we don't want to drink this this is unpleasant and so that would have got their attention and as it were Jesus saying it's like you're just completely disinterested in me it's like you're just not really fussed if I've got good news to share with you you're like yeah whatever if I've got bad news to share with you it's like yeah whatever who here has recently had some kind of exam some kind of test and let's say you, you uh there's a few tentative hands you you go into school or uni or wherever and you find out your results and then you're on your way home and you're you're coming home And you you get home, and you say, Mom, Dad, or honey, great news. I got 100% in everything. Oh, that's nice, honey. But I got run over by a bus on the way home. And the bleeding hasn't stopped yet. I'm I'm not quite sure. I might lose a leg. Oh, okay, well, tea's in the fridge. I'll see you later. I need to pop out. It's like, what? I've got great news, or I've got bad news. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm not really that fussed. Um, and that's almost like this church's reaction to Jesus. I've got great news to share with you. Oh, I've got something t- really serious to tell you. Oh, right, okay, just lukewarm. Kind of no reaction, no, no interest. And that seems to be summed up. Jesus kind of seems to quote them in verse 17. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. And uh, that's kind of the story of the city, really. This city was wealthy, it was healthy, and it was well-dressed because they had an amazing banking sector, they had a, a medical school that was doing very well that kind of came up with various ointments and so on, um, and they had kind of a renowned trade in uh, black wool, so they were they were known for, um, for for their clothing industry as well. They were a well-dressed city. I don't need anything. We're we're well looked after. We've got everything we need. This city actually also had an earthquake. We saw last week how the church in Philadelphia, the the city in Philadelphia, experienced an earthquake. This city also experienced an earthquake in AD 61. But they said to the Roman authorities, "We we don't need your help. We can rebuild all by ourselves because we've got the resources. We're fine. We don't need you. And... I suppose, in a sense, that's fine. I don't have to accept the help of Rome, but that kind of got carried over in a spiritual sense as well. And so they'd got used to saying that to God: "No, we, we've got what we need. We're wealthy, we're healthy, and we look good. And we we don't we don't need we don't need your help." That's effectively what the church had got used to, one way or another, saying or thinking about their relationship. We've got we've we've got everything sorted. They're therefore shutting God out of everything they do, and maybe they don't realise this is happening. But not seeking Him, just doing what they think is best. Perhaps a, a casual attitude to working out what does it mean to live a holy life. What is a good course of action? What is what is an unrighteous course of action? Well, we we don't really need to ask God. We we know, we can kind of come up with what we think is right. So kind of casual, doesn't really matter. And that that attitude of, of pride and independence is what makes Jesus want to spit them out. Ultimately, pride is living as if we don't need God. It's living as though we don't need to talk to him we don't need to seek him. We don't need to hear him. We don't need to listen to him. There's nothing that we need to receive from him. You know, God, who's got incredible riches of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and grace, and power. And ah, oh, we don't need you. We don't, we've, we've got enough. And maybe we can kind of make calculations in our minds. Do, is this something I need to pray about or not? Is this something I need to seek God about or not? And we can—that's just a bizarre try, calculation to try and make. Uh, surely, always, but no. Here, the the church in Laodicea—they get this warning because they have this kind of attitude, a pride that's settled in, that means they, they're kind of independent and they've pushed God out. A question might arise at this point, however: Isn't Jesus being just a little bit? Too harsh, too severe in the way that he's addressing this church. Because, well, they've been through an earthquake, for goodness sake. So there's been some trauma going on there. And surely they, they need a bit of understanding. Um, should, Jesus, should we take Jesus aside and advise him to soften down his style of communication? I think you're, you're going in too strong, Jesus. You know, these are strong words. You know, I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And he goes on to say, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, How does that sound to us? Even knowing what we do, perhaps, about where the La- Laodiceans were coming from, do we think that's a bit hard well jesus doesn't need to soften his style of communication in this sense he said as we looked at right at the beginning he's got a complete commitment to truth therefore he doesn't he doesn't try and flatter he doesn't try and deceive he's also got no sin himself to be ashamed of and sometimes we've got sin that we need to be ashamed of And therefore, we've got this inclination to hide and therefore maybe an inclination just to just to want to soften everything down. We wouldn't want to be spoken to in such a hard way. And so we'll kind of we'll go go soft, too. But no, sin needs confronting. Needs confronting in our own lives and it needs drastic action. So Paul, when he writes to the Romans in Romans 8 and verse Uh, 13 he says for if you live according to the sinful nature you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live he wants people to live obviously but when he's writing this he says if you're living by the spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body so in other words our bodies by their own inclinations and desires our sinful flesh has a desire to do stuff that is unholy evil sinful, wrong, rebellious, or whatever. That's where we contend towards in our sinful nature. Jesus says, no, you're not like that by the Spirit of God. I've given the Spirit of God. What that enables us to do is what? Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Sin needs, in our own lives, it needs ruthless attack. It needs determined action. I'm going to... Not just set it aside, as it were. I'm going to put it to. I'm going to run it through. I'm going to totally wipe it out in my life. Sin is not there to be kind of um, entertained or accommodated. It will. It will take over. That's what sin wants to do. It wants to totally take over. It must be killed. It must be destroyed. And there's a, another part where Paul in Kind of addressing another issue. He, he himself confronts somebody else because of their, because of their sin. And we see that in, in the book of Galatians in chapter 2. Galatians 2 and verse 11 says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because, of he, was, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You know, Peter's an apostle, an original disciple of Jesus. Peter, you know, God is building his church on this guy, but Paul can still see in this situation he's clearly in the wrong. And what Peter is doing, drawing himself back from non-Jewish believers in Jesus, drawing back, drawing back, drawing back, his actions are totally undermining the message of the gospel, totally undermining God's wonderful grace. Paul doesn't discuss with him doctrinal difference. He doesn't say, well, here's my point of view and here's yours. In this situation, Paul, because he can see clearly from the word of God and through what God has revealed, See, Peter's in the wrong on this. I need to confront. It says he opposes him to our faith. I think his face. We can think, oh, no, no. You you don't do that. You don't confront sin like that. Got to be really kind of gentle. Jesus here speaking to the Laodiceans. I am about to spit you out. Something is seriously wrong and seriously needs to change. But... Before we move on to the way ahead, let's just see this wonderfully key word. I am about to spit you out. In that word about, there is tenderness and grace. Jesus is not in the process of spitting this church out. He's not saying, I've had it up to here. I've had enough. That's it. He's saying, I'm about. I'm about to do this but there 's still opportunity there 's still time to change, as we 'll see there is there is hope there is a way forward, there is a way ahead. And I was reading uh, uh, a book um, to parents, and it points out many kind of helpful things in in trying to raise our our children. Those of us who are our parents may be able to ad- identify with this, and in this book, it mentions kind of A tendency that we can slip into as mums and dads um, that isn't necessarily that helpful. And they call it this. This unhelpful tendency for parents is called ignore and zap. Okay? I'll explain what I mean. Ignore and zap. Children are doing something which is disobedient, but not like... The worst sin in the world. It's clearly wrong. We have probably told them not to do it. It's rebellious. But, um, and we're you know, a little bit irritated. We decide to begin with to ignore. We ignore once. We ignore twice. It keeps happening. We ignore three times. We ignore ten times. But by then, our agitation has built up so much that we then zap. And we overreact. Anyone identify with that? I'm not sure. Um, An example of that might be, um, right, you've been arguing about who's going to sit in the front of the car too long. I'm going to stop the car and you're going to get out and you're going to walk home and I mean it. But dad, we're on safari. (laughs) I don't think we're going to make it. I told you not to argue. I told you not to cross me. But you've taken it one step too far. That's it. Out you go. Out you go. When we ignore and zap, it's like there's no way back. It's just an overreaction of hostility and anger. Jesus is not ignoring and zapping. I've just had it up to here with you. That's it. Get out. It's no. I've almost had it up to here with you, but there's a way ahead. There's a way, or there's a way back. There's a way for this whole situation to be restored, and I'm going to tell you what it is. And as Jesus outlines this to the church in Laodicea, effectively he's saying to them, look guys, you, you need to acknowledge this pride. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to turn away from this half-hearted, indifferent, uncaring, lukewarmness and indifference towards me. And you need to find everything in me. And we had that tongue earlier on. And part of the interpretation that Tom brought was kind of, we, we put all our faith in Jesus. And sometimes the kind of pride or independence or arrogance attitude that sometimes can develop in us in our relationship with God is, well, I'm going to put some of my faith in Jesus, but actually I'm putting some of it in myself. I'm okay. I'm rich. I don't need a thing. I've got enough. I've got a bit of wisdom. I've got a bit of grace. I've got a bit of power. I can do some stuff. I'm all right. I can, I can, I can work out things for myself. And then subtly, but ever so dangerously, Pride and arrogance can just take hold and take root. You know, doing that, acknowledging their sin, would have been difficult for this church in Laodicea. I I guess, as I said before, they weren't expecting this message because Jesus goes on to, you know, says to them in verse 17, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they weren't poor. They thought they were rich. They didn't think they were blind. They had this amazing medical school that came up with ointment for eyes that would sort it all out. They didn't think they were na- naked because they had this amazing clothing industry. They were very finely dressed in all latest uh, designer labels. Uh, Jesus says, no, come on. That's not really where things are at, spiritually speaking, is it? You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This, this church here in Laodicea needs To recognize what really is true. And they need therefore to receive first of all this bad news. You don't realize it, but you're wretched. You don't realize it, but you're pitiful. They need to receive it. They need to accept it. They need to own it. So that they can then genuinely hear and genuinely receive the simply astoundingly wonderfully awesome good news that then jesus starts to paint out starts to draw out verse 18 i counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom i love by rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent now, that can sound like a really strange way ahead to start with. Come on, guys. A- a- acknowledge it. You're poor. Right. Now that you've acknowledged that you're poor, buy from me gold you're finding in the fire. Well, we can't do that, Jesus, because now we've acknowledged that we're actually poor. Well, again, in the language of Revelation, sometimes there are these kind of dramatic images that are used. And if we kind of home in on them, we can, get, we can miss the wood for the trees. What is Jesus saying? you don't have you've got to acknowledge this is what i've got jesus has gold refined in the fire he has white clothes to wear that cover our shameful nakedness and he has salve to put on our eyes so that we can see jesus isn't saying to us okay You've got to start earning a few credits. Okay. Here's where you are, right down there. Right. Start, you know, with good works and all the rest of it. You, you build yourself up. You, um, you start to earn some credit before me. Once you've got enough banked up, then you can come and earn some blessing from me. Then you can come and, um, pay for a relationship with me. Okay. Once you've done that. So get saving, start the, you know, all the rest of it. Then you can come and you can earn your way in to my favor. He's, he's not saying that. Jesus is saying, in effect, all, all you need to do, what you need to do, is to recognize that by yourself, your situation is hopeless. And you need to come to me in faith. Not on the basis of what you can do. Not on the basis of what you've earned. You come on the basis of faith. And that's what we do. Those of us who are following Jesus, those of us who believe Jesus, those of us who got saved, got baptized, we're his. Well, we came to that point in our lives, that point of faith, that point of realizing I have got nothing of credit. I've got nothing that makes me look good before God. And I acknowledge that and I come and I repent and I put my faith completely in jesus that is how we come into relationship with jesus that's how we come into membership of heaven that's the route that's the path it's path of repentance and faith it's very odd then if as followers of jesus we kind of leave that way of of simple repentance and faith yeah we come to god With all our nothingness, all our debts, shame and nakedness, but to receive riches, clean clothes, with vision restored. That is the most amazing deal ever, I think you'll find. I was just thinking this week about the the government, they started that scheme to try and help the car industry, that you could trade in your banger, and if you traded in your banger, you'd be guaranteed to kind of... Get £2,000 of credit, which would then enable you to buy a new car. But you can't buy a new car for £2,000. So you'd always, you would have to have some money to put into it. So quite an amazing deal, quite a, a generous offer by the help of the government. But actually, it's, it's just a, a kind of a bargain. Well, I've got this car and I've got some money saved up. Yes, I can therefore uh, go and buy a new one. Well, no, we don't come to God on that basis. It's completely, we, we come to God with, with no car and with a load of debt. He says, right, you can have this. I'm going to bless you with this. That's what a wonderful God is like. That's what his grace is like. Totally over the top. Totally generous beyond compare. But what does this mean for us? You know, those warnings mean that we need to treat sin seriously. This way ahead means that we need to think, yeah, God is great. And our need of him is great. You know, if we're we're thinking... God isn't that great. And if we're thinking, my needs isn't that great, my sin isn't that significant, then we are lukewarm. Um, and we need to do what Jesus says here, which is to be earnest, you know, be red hot, be, be zealous for God and repent and turn back to him. That's the way ahead. Now, the way ahead is then followed Uh, by wonderful promises for overcoming and as i read verses 20 and 21 for a moment i'm kind of thinking is this even part of the same message to the same church jesus has been so strong he's been so firm he has he's completely told the truth he's not held back he's not tried to soften it up to to make the church just feel cozy. He's told them completely as it, as it is. Yes, he's, he's assured them of his love, but it's, it's severe, strong. And then we get to verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father. And that is pretty awesome. Jesus is starting the message by saying, You're terrible. He's saying, I'm almost about to spit you out. But then what he says, But here I am. And I'm, I'm right here and I'm knocking on the door. And have you ever knocked on a door hoping that no one answers and no one opens the door? Um, and so the way in which you knock is, is kind of, Right, you go. Um, Jesus knocks on the door. And he's not doing this. Oh, phew, they didn't repent. But he's not saying this either. I'm outside. Come out with your hands up. Jesus graciously and persistently is now I'm 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 outside. I'm definitely knocking on the door. Not because I want to beat you up. Not because I want to humiliate. Because I want to come in. I'm almost at the point of spitting. I'm almost at the point of being sick. But how much I want you to open the door to me. Because I want to come in. I want to eat with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to talk with you. I want to listen to you. I want to spend time with you. Not kind of a quick snack and shooting back out the door. But like a leisurely meal. A banquet. Reclining at the table. Eating and talking, taking time. I mean, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He spent time with them. He, and that's, they, they kind of did life together. It wasn't just nipping in and out of a quick meeting. No, Jesus wants to come in. That's what he's graciously saying. Look, guys, this is what's at stake. This is what's on offer. If the, if the, if the church in Laodicea didn't kind of respond to this message well, this is what they're missing out on. This is what's available. This is the invitation. This is the appeal. I want to come in. Here I am. I stand at the door door and knock. But I'm not banging the door down. I'm not forcing my way in here. I really want to come in. But the choice is with you. The choice is with you to choose to open. To choose to repent. Of all that lukewarmness and indifference. And... To continue zealously seeking him. That's what this, these guys are being told. And this wonderful promise. Look, this is a promise for the whole of our lives. This is not just about eternity. Get on to that in verse 21. But in verse 20, it's talking about, this is what I've got for you now. I'm here now. I want you now to open the door to me. Because I do love you. Because you are my children. I went to the cross for you. And I didn't do that so that we would just have a fleeting relationship where we nod at each other occasionally over a crowded room. I want to come in. I want relationship with you. So this is what's on offer in this life. But it's also what's on offer in the life to come. To him who overcomes, in verse 21, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now just spool right back, something I didn't mention. But right in the beginning, as Jesus is introducing himself in this message, we saw how he says, I'm the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I'm the one who sat on the throne of all heaven, of the whole created order of things. And Jesus is saying, I've overcome. I sat down with my father on his throne. Guess what, O church? that I'm about to spit out. If you respond and you repent, not only do I come in to you, not only do I come to where you are, but in eternity, you get to come and be right where I am. And right where I am is on my Father's throne. And you can come and be on my throne. This is not kind of come in and now I'm going to ignore you. This is come in, you're going to sit with me and we're going to rule over everything for eternity. You're going to be right in the thick of the action. You're going to be right in the center of my purpose. You're going to be right close in intimacy to me. There's never going to be a moment where there's distance between us. There's never going to be a moment when I turn away from you. There's never going to be a moment when I decide I've got something better to do than spend time with you. No, Jesus is saying now and forever, I love my church. And I want my church to receive my love. I want my church to be more amazed with my love than it is amazed with anything else, and so not to put its faith, not to put its trust in other things, in other riches, in ones you know our own abilities, our own wisdom, or our own thinking. No, we're, we're coming completely to Jesus and wholesale giving our lives to Him, you know, to Him who has an ear. Let Him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I began by saying. In effect, I don't think we're a lukewarm church. The last couple of Fridays, as we've been gathered together to pray, it is just such a privilege, a, a church that is eager to seek God, and so and so zealously, even when, as that word pictured earlier, sometimes things can, can seem like uphill. Sometimes there are challenges in, the, in, in life that we face as a church, uh, cancer, hostility, uh, other things, but... Yeah, God's opened a door to us like he had for the Philadelphians. uh, This message, uh, I don't think it applies to City Church Sheffield. But to him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. We do need to take hold of what this is saying. If not for now, then certainly for always. Because otherwise, like Laodiceans, we can just be drawn. It's very subtle. We can just be drawn into a pride into an arrogant way of thinking. We've got it all sewn up. We've got it sussed. We're fine. We don't need your help, God. Thank you. You need to go and help other churches. We know that. We understand. They've had earthquakes. We've had an earthquake, but we can sort ourselves out. We're fine. doesn't really stack up at all. So we do need to be on our guard towards pride and any sin that we think we don't need to confront and we don't need to deal with. But it's amazing, isn't it? We, We read through this. When I read through this, it seems... You know, when it comes to sin, Jesus, he's both stronger and more tender than we can tend to be. We can tend to ignore, 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 and then zap. Um, Jesus doesn't ignore. He doesn't ignore sin. And then he doesn't zap. He's not saying, that's it. You're out. He's saying, you're almost out. Please come back in. Because I've got so much grace I want to pour out on you. That is the wonder of God's mercy. So yes, he does point out the seriousness of their sin. He does the same for us. But he's graciously appealing as well. Why don't you actually let me in? I'm here for you. If only you'd stop pretending that you don't need me. If only you'd open the door to me. Because I've I've got eternal riches and blessing for you.